Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the Epistle to the Hebrews. We'll be discussing how the Bible teaches that faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection alone is all that is needed for your salvation. Nothing needs to be added to the new covenant of grace. So if you'll open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we'll begin our lesson. Why don't I open us up in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together and study your word. And we thank you for your word. And as we continue our study of Hebrews and our study about the new covenant, I ask you to lead our discussion. Let it be your words, not mine. And continue to give us a new heart, renew our heart so that we have a heart for you and that we can represent you and live the life that you call us to live, represent you to others, and carry out your will. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we finished up with Hebrews 9 last time, and I'm just going to refresh everyone's memory what we've been studying. Remember, we don't know exactly who the writer of the epistle of the Hebrews was, and that's why I always refer to them as the writer because we don't know who the writer is. And what the writer has been doing the last bunch of lessons as we've worked our way through Hebrews is contrasting the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, contrasting the old Jewish sacrifices, animal sacrifices that had to be repeated over and over and over again that really didn't remove sin, they just covered sin. Contrasting that with the done one time death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to continue with that theme even this morning. Where I want to start, just because remember when this was written, there weren't chapters and verses. So I want to just pick up with where we left off last time, chapter 9 and verse 27. I want to begin there as it will lead into what we're going to be talking about today. It says in verse 27 of chapter 9, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time, not to bear sin to those who eagerly await him for salvation. And we talked about this last time. Everybody is going to face judgment. Non-believers, they will face judgment at the great white throne judgment. We've talked about that. They didn't want to accept the payment of their sins by Jesus Christ, and so they will be judged based on their works, just how they wanted, and none of them make it. We've looked at that many, many times in Revelation 20. Believers will face the judgment seat of Christ, but we can see here we will have our salvation. The judgment seat of Christ, you can look at that in Romans 14.10 as well as 2 Corinthians 5.10. That's for believers. The great right throne judgment is for non-believers. Believers' judgment is before Jesus Christ. And again, not for our salvation. Our salvation is secure, but it's for us to receive our heavenly rewards. And you can look at that in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 15, as well as 2 Corinthians 5, 10. So our judgment will be based on what we did with our lives when we became Christians. What did we do with the opportunities that God gave us? How did we serve him? How did we reflect the light of Christ to others in the way that we lived? But there's only two places, and we talked about this with a little bit more detail last time, where people end up. There's not a third place. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell, and it's forever. It even says here, to bear the sins of many, 
you can see not everyone makes it right there in verse 28. But for us, it's a done deal. It says, for those who await him, we have our salvation. So let's pick up with chapter 10 this morning, verse 1. For the law, and that's talking about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things. The Old Covenant and the law of the Old Testament and all the regulations that were there, they pictured Christ. There's nothing wrong with the law other than it won't save you. It was meant to show us that we needed a Savior, that we couldn't live a sinless life, that we couldn't abide by the standards of holiness of God. It continues, it says, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. So the animal sacrifices, they were temporary. They had to be repeated over and over and over again. You brought your offering to the priest and he offered the sacrifice. You couldn't even go directly to God. You had to go through a priest. And yet that wouldn't save you. The law never saved anybody. It would not provide salvation. It would not provide direct access to God. The law can't make people perfect. And the law never provided a personal relationship with God that we get through Jesus Christ. The Mosaic law, it was an inadequate copy of what God would eventually do with the new covenant. We've talked about this the last several lessons how under the Old Covenant, the priests, they slaughtered animals all the time. It was never over. They had to keep repeating it. In fact, during Passover, it's been estimated that hundreds and hundreds of thousands of animals were slaughtered. Lots and lots and lots of dead animals. Even with that, no matter how often they did it, no matter how many animals were slaughtered, it never brought personal access to God. It couldn't remove their sin. It was only temporary. It was just an external ritual. It didn't change people's hearts internally. Yet the law pictured forgiveness. It pictured access to God. And it gave us a picture of salvation, but it couldn't provide it. Only Christ can do that. And that's why the new covenant was promised to us. And we're going to refer to it a little bit in what we read today. And we've spent quite a bit of time in Jeremiah 31 where the new covenant was talked about. We dealt with that a little bit last lesson and some in the previous lessons, if you want to go back and listen to that. But the new covenant through Christ, that's the real thing. Jews today, they don't have a temple. They don't have a high priest. They can't do animal sacrifices. So God's taken that all away. The temple has been destroyed. God removed that. So even the old covenant has now faded away. But yet Jewish people, they refuse to embrace the new covenant. And yet the old covenant in the law was never intended to bring salvation. It was there to point to the need for a perfect savior and the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And to remove the penalty of death, the penalty for sin is death. It pointed there to remind us even the killing of all those animals was to remind them that the penalty of sin is death. So let's pick up where we left off, verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. So they had to keep doing it over and over and over again because it was ineffective. It was just temporary. Animal sacrifices didn't remove sin. It didn't remove the guilt. 
It just covered it. They still had their sin. They had this innate awareness that they were still sinners and that there was something wrong in their life. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. So this is referring probably to the Day of Atonement. It was an annual reminder that you're a sinner. Those sacrifices of animals, they only covered the sin until the next sin, which you probably did just a little bit after the sacrifice. But with Christ, we have peace. Let me show you a couple of things. I've got several verses, but let me show you one in the Old Testament. Go over. I want you to see this. Let's spend a little time looking at some of this. I'm going to take you over to the Psalms. Psalms you'll find right in about the middle of the Old Testament, back over to the left, and go over to Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, I'm just going to sort of skip through several of the verses here. Psalm 51 begins, Be gracious to me, or your translation may say, Be merciful to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. Now skip down to verse 9. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence and do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted to thee. Then skip down to verse 15. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare thy praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. Remember, this is in the Psalms. This is a Psalm of David. Actually, David wrote this after Nathan came and confronted David with his sin that he had done with Bathsheba. But this is reflecting that everyone has sin. Even David had sin. And there was a need for a Savior, a perfect Savior. And that's Jesus Christ. That's what this is pointing to. And then let me take you over to Romans 8. So if you go back over to Hebrews, Romans will be back over to the left. Romans is after the four Gospels, the four Corinthians, or if you want, I'm just going to read a couple of verses there. Let me read Romans 8. I'm just going to read the first three verses. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, meaning believers. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So it's done. If you're a believer Your sins are forgiven, past, present, future. It's done. You have your salvation. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus is that perfect offering. He took on flesh. He came here to live. It's not just about the life of Christ. Without Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And Christ did that for us. And then I'll show you one more. I'm going to take you back over to 1 John. That's not the Gospel of John. 1 John, which is the epistles of John, which are right before Revelation. I'm going to go to 1 John 1. 
I'm going to begin in verse 8. It says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we think that we're going to get there because we try to live a good life, like, we're pretty good, you know. I hear that all the time when I ask people, where are you going to go when you die? And they say, well, I hope heaven. And I go, well, why do you think you're going to get in? Well, I try to do the right thing. I try to do good things. There's nothing wrong with trying to do good things, but that will never be good enough to get to heaven. We're all sinful, this says. Verse 9, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus forgives us. It's not a priest. We don't get forgiveness by going and confessing our sins to a priest. Jesus is the one who forgives us. We've all sinned. Verse 10, it says, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God says, look, everybody's a sinner. And we know as believers, all our sins have been forgiven. But what happens is we're still sinners. We're still going to mess up. We're still going to have problems as we go through this life. And what that does is that sort of hinders the Holy Spirit from being able to operate the way the Holy Spirit wants to operate in our life. And so we don't lose our salvation, but we're not able to have that great communication through the Holy Spirit. And so we've got to confess our sin, and then we can move on and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to operate in our life. Okay, let's go back over to the text. I left off in verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. I've mentioned that. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We saw that over in Psalm 51. Animal sacrifices, they could not take away the sin permanently. It was an external ritual. Nothing changed really internally. It was just an external ritual. Verse 5, therefore, when he comes into the world, this is Jesus, he says, sacrifice and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body, that's Jesus Christ's body, thou hast prepared for me in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come, this is talking about Jesus, in the roll of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. All this is taken from Psalm 40, 6 through 8, if you want to look at that. The Jewish rituals, by the time Christ came, the sacrifices, they had become rote. There really wasn't faith or devotion. It was just this ritual thing that they did. It was an outward thing. Their hearts weren't in it. There really wasn't any obedience to God. And God wanted their hearts, and he wanted their devotion. And sending Jesus was always God's plan to redeem us even from the beginning. Christ's body, that would be the sacrifice. Let me show you a couple of verses on that. I'm going to go back over to the Old Testament, some prophecy there. I'm going to go to Isaiah, which if you want to go over there, Isaiah is after the Psalms where we were just a little while ago. I'm going to go to Isaiah 1, and it's also right after Song of Songs or Songs of Solomon. And I'm going to begin in verse... 11. It says, What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. I'll skip down to verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. 
defend the orphan, plead for the widow. So it's not about rule keeping. It's about taking care of other people. Verse 18, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. God had a plan from the beginning to provide a way that we could be cleansed of our sin. And that was through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. Basically, if you look at Psalm 40, I'm going back over to the text. It announced, as we see here, that the animal sacrifices in the old covenant were going to be replaced by the new covenant of Jeremiah 31, which we're going to read part of here in just a minute. But as we just saw, God didn't really like animal sacrifices in the way it had become just a ritual for everyone. It was really a mockery at that time for hypocrites who really didn't think they needed a savior. And they were just going through these motions. Verse 9, then he said, behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. So Jesus came to do God's will to be that perfect sacrifice And he replaced the old covenant with the new covenant. That's exactly what he did. Verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So the new covenant, it sanctifies us as believers. It makes us holy. It sets us apart for God. It's the ultimate solution that the old covenant couldn't do. But you can see it says we have been sanctified. So there's nothing more for us to do. We can't add to it. We can't add to it by doing a bunch of religious things like some religions teach that you got to keep doing stuff and abiding by rules and doing traditions and rituals and what have you. No, it's been done. It's been accomplished. While we are being sanctified, even as we go through our life, We continue to become more and more Christ-like by being obedient to God and reading Scripture and through the trials we go through where he's knocking off our rough edges. So we're going through the sanctification process, but in God's eyes, it's already been completed. It's done, past tense. There's nothing that we can add to or contribute to it. It's permanent, and yet it's continuing, but it's a done deal. Positionally, we're already made right with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 11, And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So as we've been saying, it was just a temporary solution. It had to be repeated over and over again. It was ineffective. And yet the priest ministry, it was never finished, as we've said. It was just these external rituals that we even still see in several religions and denominations. They have all these external rituals that they think are going to provide more grace or by participating in them, give them a chance of perhaps making it to heaven. And yet this is saying, no, it's a done deal. Christ has already done it. In fact, let's read on here. Verse 12, but he, talking about Jesus Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, okay, so it's done. He did it once. He did it for all time. He then sat down at the right hand of God. So his work was completed. This is where eternal security comes from. Our sin has been done away with for believers. It's a one-time thing. And what's interesting, and we looked at this when we were studying the Gospel of John, Jesus on the cross as he was bearing our sins, once that was completed, 
he said, it is finished. And let's go over there and look at that again, because I just love this. Go over the Gospel of John, fourth gospel. I want you to see this. John 19, verse 30. Hold your place here in Hebrews. And it says, when Jesus therefore had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, what's interesting is the words that are translated here from the Greek, it is finished. The word is tetelestai. And tetelestai was actually what the tax collectors, and if you owed a bill, once you paid it, they stamped it tetelestai. That's what they stamped on the bill. And what it means is it's been paid. Debt has been paid. Debt is canceled. It's paid. It's all done. It's translated for us, it is finished, meaning Jesus has completed his work. But I actually like the idea of, and the debt's been paid. It's done. There's nothing more that we can add to it at all. It's a done deal. Okay, let's go back over. Where did I leave off? And he sat down at the right hand of God, verse 12. Verse 13, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. So Jesus is in heaven. His work in terms of paying for our debt that we couldn't pay is done. He's already conquered sin. He's conquered Satan, all the fallen angels. He loves everyone. He wants everyone to come to belief. And he's just waiting now, giving us time to do our work to help bring others into belief so that they can be saved. But all will bow down at his feet. Let me show you a couple of verses on what I just mentioned. And I'll go over there. You can go if you want. I'm going to go to Colossians first, which is just a few books over to the left from Hebrews, just after Philippians. And for those of you taking notes, Colossians 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 13. It says, And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions. See, they're all gone. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And then I'll show you one other one. It's over in Philippians, so a little bit over to the left, Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore also God highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So everybody is going to bow down to Jesus, believers and unbelievers. All right, they're going to be in hell. They're going to be separated from God forever, but they're going to bow down before him when they're being judged at the great white throne judgment. They're going to realize, ooh, I really messed up, but it'll be too late. Okay, go back over to Hebrews. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So you see, it's a one-time deal. Eternal perfection for believers. Sin removed, and we have the promise of eternal salvation. It's permanent. It can't be lost. It's not that we're sinless now, but the completion of God's saving purpose and our promised salvation, it's done. Verse 15, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. This is referring to the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 
After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and upon their mind I will write them. He then says, in their sins, in their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. God fulfilled his promises that he give us a new covenant. And the Jews should have welcomed that with tremendous joy and relief. After trying to uphold all the Jewish laws and regulations, Jeremiah prophesied about the new covenant. And what the writer to the Hebrews is saying, remember, they all grew up with the Old Testament laws. He's saying, look, if you believe the Old Testament in the Old Testament prophets, you've got to believe the new covenant because it's part of that. And if you're going to believe in the new covenant, then you've got to accept Jesus Christ. And he's saying if you reject Jeremiah's prophecy and that of the other prophets who all wrote about the Messiah, then you're basically rejecting God, you're rejecting his son, and you're rejecting the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to do it today. We spent some time going into Jeremiah 31, several lessons we covered that. But I want you to remember, I think it was several lessons ago, I talked how the new covenant was made with the nation of Israel. Okay, it's not made with us as Gentiles. But I described how we as believers participate in the benefits of the new covenant. And if you weren't here for that or missed it, you can go back and listen to the recording. But what I want to point out here is that God still has a plan for the nation of Israel because he made that new covenant with them. There will be a remnant of Jews. It's not for the whole nation. It's not for all Jewish people. It will be those Jews that go through the tribulation, that come to faith in the tribulation, that will then move into the millennial kingdom where then the promises of a kingdom and a descendant of David on the throne in the kingdom, that's when those promises will be fulfilled at that time. Let me show you a couple of more verses. It says here in verse 17, their sins I'll remember no more. Let me first take you back to 1 John, and I'll just read those real quick. There's just a couple of verses I want to show you over there. It says in 1 John 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, so he's saying, look, while God views us as sanctified, we're still going to sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. He paid for our sins. And not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. So everyone's invited, but for some reason, not everyone wants to to allow Jesus to pay their debt. They want to do it on their own or some other way. They got their own way, their own thing that they think is going to get them there. It won't. Jesus is available to them, but many people, for some reason, choose to go a different way. It's not going to work out for them. But he's our advocate. He's there. That's what he's doing. And then finally, I'm going to go back over to Psalms, and I'm going to go to Psalm 103. And I've mentioned this to us before, but I just love this. I don't know if it's because I'm a sailor or what, but I love this. Verse 12, Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. What's so cool about that is when this was written, no one knew the earth was round, that it was a ball. It doesn't say from north to south, because if you go north, eventually you'll be going south. Or if you go south, you'll eventually be going north. But if you set out and you go east, you'll keep going east forever. Or if you set out and go west, you'll be going west forever. You never get to, you just keep going east or keep going west. 
So it's infinite. That's how far removed God has removed our sins as believers. I just love that illustration. And so let me finish up. I'll go back over. I'm just going to hit one more verse today. Since I've went over time for the last, I don't know how many lessons, I decided to break this one up for us. Verse 18, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. So our sin problem has been dealt with permanently. There's no need for sacrifices. For believers, our sin has been forgiven forever. There's nothing for us to add to it. There's nothing for us to do to earn it. There's not religious practices or traditions or sacraments or anything that we can do to earn our salvation. It's a done deal. Jesus did it, took care of it. It's done. We should just be so thankful for what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to do animal sacrifices. None of those rituals remove sin. It's only through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and our faith in him. That's the only thing we're looking to for our salvation. So what questions or comments might you have? This is just further going in a little bit more detail of what we've been studying the last several weeks of how superior the new covenant is to the old covenant. Any thoughts or comments? I think it's interesting when you were talking about Romans 8, how Jesus came to fulfill the righteousness of the law. I find it interesting that like, that's the one law, is this idea that sacrifice is required for sin, to cover sin. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, I mean, God suspends death. He suspends the natural order of things occasionally doing these miracles. And, like, this is, like, the one thing. There's no way out of this. This has to happen. Yeah. And I just, I've never seen that before. It's kind of interesting that that is such a high... Yeah, and the whole system that he put in place is planned that I'm going to give these laws. You're not going to be able to do them. I'm going to give you a way to feel a little bit better about not being able to do them. You can kill these animals. You can't even come to me direct. you got to go through a priest. But you can see, if you just look at that, you go, God, that's all some really weird stuff, man. At the same time, all of it points to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing to the need for a perfect Savior, a perfect sacrifice. And you look at Jesus as God, so he took on our flesh to come give a perfect sacrifice because places in the Old Testament that says there's got to be blood. There's got to be blood to pay for sin. So he had to come and be this perfect sacrifice. It all pointed to him. And it's just amazing to me how the Jewish people, not all of them, I mean, there's obviously Jews who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. But for the most part, they just refuse to accept that. Now they can't even live out their religion the way the Old Testament and the Old Covenant required because God replaced it with the New Covenant and took away their temple. But Larry, so there's a couple different kinds of law, right? There's, yeah, maybe you can touch on, there's moral law, ceremonial law. Ceremonial laws, yes. And then obviously the civil stuff. Yes. So the moral law is the Ten Commandments, is it? Yeah, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were actually carried over into the New Testament because basically Jesus summarized them all but one, and that's the Sabbath. You can summarize all those with love God and love everyone else. If you look at them, those were basically carried forward. But it's different. In the Old Testament, you were trying to do that in order to gain your salvation. Now, 
when we get over to chapter 11, we're going to see there were people who had faith. All chapter 11, when we get to chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith, actually. We're going to see all these Old Testament people who gained their salvation. They didn't gain it from keeping the law. There's nobody ever that has gone to heaven or that has salvation or the promise of going to heaven because they kept the law. The only person who kept the law was Jesus. He's the only one. So the law never got you there. It was faith. But it was faith in those people who looked to a Savior. They knew they were sinners, and they were looking forward to the Messiah. So they had the faith. We'll spend some time talking about that when we get to Hebrews 11. But as Christians, we're not bound by any of the old covenant laws or regulations. And that's part of what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. And that's certainly what Paul says a lot in his letters. Because remember, there were some early converts, Jewish people, who were becoming Christians who were then saying, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus Christ, but you still have to do all these old rituals as well, like get circumcised and do all these things. And they said, no, no, that's old covenant stuff. That's gone. None of that is required to be saved. That's all been replaced. We're now in the age of grace. It's not law, it's grace. Here we go again, always Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace that we're saved. It's through our faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. It's not doing a bunch of stuff. Help clarify this for me. It's 300 B.C. and I'm hanging out with the priest and doing all these sacrifices and I die. You mentioned if I was looking forward to a Messiah, that that was enough. Yes. So what if you never had the opportunity to live post-Jesus Christ? We'll get salvation for all those millions or billions of people that came before. We're going to get into that in chapter 11. But there were lots and lots of people that chapter 11 highlights. In fact, what I love about chapter 11, the people who are mentioned there, they're all terrible sinners. But they had faith that there was a Messiah, that they needed a Savior. Now, they didn't have all the information that we have. So their clarity of God sending his son and dying on a cross, for they didn't have that type of understanding. But they had enough to know that they were trusting in God. For instance... You remember Abraham, and we'll see a lot in chapter 11 on Abraham. God had promised Abraham that he was going to have all kinds of descendants and that the world was going to be blessed through Abraham and his descendants, right? And yet God then tells Abraham, go kill your son Isaac. And he takes Isaac up to go kill him because God told him. But what's interesting about that story, and we'll get into it when we get to 11, Isaac wasn't a little baby. It's estimated that Isaac was late teens or in his 20s. So he's taking Isaac up, and he tells his servants, you all wait here, we'll be back, okay? But he's going to kill him because God told him to. He had the faith. He knew that God was going to fulfill his promises, that even if he had to kill Isaac, he was going to raise Isaac back to life, and they were going to come back. That's the faith that he had. He had faith in God and God's promises, So he's saved, and he was given that faith, by the way, and we'll study that. It wasn't anything he did to earn it. He had faith even before the law was given, circumcision. So it wasn't anything he did, but he had faith in God. And remember, he was a pagan before he then was selected by God. We'll dig into that a little bit more when we get to Hebrews 11. 
But God has provided people enough information to be able to figure out what they needed to believe. Yeah, so there's a mechanism in place for them yes. to be saved? Yes. Okay. And there are Old Testament people who are definitely saved. And we'll see the Hall of Famers in Hebrews 11. And you'll be shocked to see who some of them are if you hadn't read it before. There's some obvious ones like Abraham, but there's others that you'll go, wow, they made the list? Hmm. <laughs> Maybe I have a chance. <coughs> and of course we do, because we're believers. That's a good question, though. Great lesson, Larry. Thank you for joining us today. Larry would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to Larry at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and Larry's weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study.